podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there and welcome to a new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam Burns, I'm your host for this episode and joining me once again my co-host it's Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this weekend? You okay? Yeah, hello everyone. Um, feels a bit weird to be uh, recording the podcast and not reacting to a race we've been spoiled in the past few weeks and um, yeah, we're going to be doing a little bit of filler today aren't we Adam? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, it's a bit more than just a filler episode, but as you mentioned, because no race this weekend, obviously, we've had one of the very few breaks that we've had this season. It's it's flown quite quickly, even though, of course, we had that lengthy delay owing to the COVID situation back in March, where the season didn't really get underway until July. But since then, it's been race after race after race in such a quick flash, a huge cluster of races. And we're now officially at the halfway point in the season. Of course, we've got 17 races in this revised 2020 calendar we're nine races into the season so far and it's a good opportunity that we've had this week break now to sort of reflect on what we've seen so far who has impressed us who hasn't really delivered and who has really got some questions to ask of themselves not just for the rest of this season but obviously seasons coming thick and fast in the future and of course with that usually this is around the sort of time in the season where we have our silly season for our F1 driver market now of course so many changes are on the horizon of course last week we had the huge news from Racing Point that Sebastian Vettel was going to be joining them he'd signed a deal with them to join from 2021 replacing Sergio Perez and of course that will raise questions over his future because he has not had a uh, opportunity to confirm if he is staying in the sport or not. So, of course, we've got to keep an eye on that. And, of course, there are some other seats as well that do need to be confirmed at the same time. So, of course, in this episode, guys, we're going to be going through some of those potential options and potential changes and switches as F1 often does during this silly season period. I mean, first of all, Courtney, would you say that this Sebastian Vettel confirmation for Racing Point, which, of course, will be Aston Martin... Will that be seen as a domino effect for other moves? Or do you feel that this was a move that a lot of people knew for some time and isn't really going to affect any other driver changes in this F1 driver market? I think the uh, the biggest question, Mark, that comes from this, uh, you, you just touched on it yourself. Um, we knew it was coming you know, for quite a few weeks now. But the main question is, what's going to happen to Sergio Perez? Because he does deserve to keep a seat in Formula One, and um, we were recently discussing, um, Adam, you showed me the graphic of the the seats that could be available for next season, and um, I don't know about you, but the two teams I look at with the most intrigue going into next season are Alfa Romeo and Haas. Right now, as we see it, we have one seat at Mercedes, although, let's be honest, we're expecting Lewis Hamilton to confirm that he's staying with the team. I can't imagine any monumental shock are coming up to us to say that Lewis is retiring at the end of the season. I'd be very surprised for that to happen. There's one seat still available at Red Bull and uh, there's one seat at Aston Martin, although as we said, we believe that will probably be Lance Stroll 
being confirmed alongside Sebastian Vettel. But then it gets a bit interesting in the other teams. We have two seats at Alpha Tauri. We have two seats at Alfa Romeo. And we also have two seats at Haas. So potentially, Corny, we've got really six seats that we feel could potentially by, be filled by almost double the number of drivers uh, as there are seats, I think it's probably fair to say. Yeah, I mean, one of the uh, one of the things I'd really like to see happen towards the top, and look, I'm not, I'm not going to get my hopes up, but I would love to see Sergio Perez drive for Red Bull. I think he really does. I think he has the talent. He's... I think it's a real shame he's even in this predicament in the first place. He's been a solid driver for many years. He pretty much helped the racing point team survive when they were struggling before their um, their revamp. And I really do think he'll fit in well in a team like Red Bull. I, I can imagine, and I think he'd um, he'd, he'd definitely push Max further and, and actually give Red Bull exactly what they need at the moment. But uh, the problem for Perez in that sense is that. Um, Albon seems to have uh, put in a good performance and got a podium at the perfect time. And then even if you look at Alpha Tauri, Gasly's pretty much gunning for the Red Bull seat himself. And I don't think Daniel Kvyat has done enough wrong to lose his seat in F1 either. I think he's he's another driver that's um, improved ever so slightly during this time um, after dropping from Red Bull to Alpha Tauri. Yeah, I mean, it's quite an interesting prospect. I mean... Sergio Perez's situation is a difficult one. He's kind of been left without a seat. I mean, perhaps this time last season, he probably felt that he was at least secure until 2022, when he might have expected to be signing a new contract with Racing Point, which will be Aston Martin next season at that time. Of course, a lot of change since then. Sebastian Vettel lost his seat at Ferrari. That was given to Carlos Sainz to replace him. Sebastian Vettel since then has always been touted to be joining the uh, Aston Martin team obviously as an avenue to stay within the sport of course at 32 it'd be a massive surprise for Vettel to retire from the sport four-time world champion so soon that's not happening of course and as a result Perez has found himself in a situation in a driver market where as you've mentioned Courtney there's only really one seat that would probably trigger his fancy yeah. Um, in order to compete for podiums and maybe race wins, which is something that Perez has always had the talent to do since he's been in Formula 1. Of course, his best finish of second place in the 2012 Malaysian Grand Prix, the only race, arguably, he probably, probably should have won um, that famous battle with Fernando Alonso uh, back in the Sauber days. So it's a difficult situation Perez finds himself in. And... I'm going to put the question to you now, Courtney. So we're going to go through team by team to make this quite easy for you guys. And of course, if you have different opinion, guys, we would love for you to comment on this video and just give us your predictions for each team's driver lineup. So I think argument for argument's sake, let's do the two easy ones. Mercedes and Aston Martin. Mercedes, we're expecting Lewis Hamilton to stay. You're not expecting Lewis Hamilton to uh, retire. Um, I bloody hope not. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Someone else did. <laughs> I think for the sport, and I know that you say that, but I think for the sport, it'd be a huge loss for, uh, you know, in, in the same way that Nico Rosberg shocked everybody after winning the 2016 World Championship. I don't expect Lewis to be doing the same, especially when, I mean, Lewis has always said for a long time that he will continue to race in Formula One for as long as he enjoys it. Now I know Lewis, like any pr top professional 
in any sport loves winning and winning the amount that he is doing at the moment is is unprecedented. I wouldn't say Lewis is having the time of his life, but I know Lewis would want to be enjoying it more, but I don't think we're anywhere near a point where Lewis Hamilton is seriously considering leaving the sport this season. So I think we'll put that one to bed and say Lewis is definitely going to beat Mercedes. It's just a matter of time before that's confirmed. I don't think Mercedes really have any better options. I don't think any driver, perhaps Verstappen, but that, there's no way they're going to prime away this season from Red Bull. So um, I know I hear rumours about release clause and stuff like that, similar to what Vettel had when before he went to Ferrari, but I I think that's a pretty safe seat. Aston Martin, uh, same again. Uh, uh, you know, Lawrence Stroll runs the team. Lance, his son, has been driving with this team for a couple of years now and, in fairness, has been a fantastic driver for them this season. Yeah. He's thoroughly deserved his seat uh, for next season. But I... I be very surprised if there was um I mean the fact that Perez is now gone it makes no sense for Lance to not be in that car next season so I'm pretty sure Lance will be in there next season alongside Sebastian Vettel yeah we've said this a few times but I just feel that Stroll has come along leaps and bounds this season and he still gets so much unnecessary criticism He, he, he can't he can't help his genetics can he yeah I'm sure it helped him get into Formula One in the first place, but he's definitely earned that seat. So, as as sad as it is, what's happened to Perez, and you know we all want to see him remain in F One. It's not it's not Lance Charles' fault. No, um, no. But with with Perez, uh, you, you're right. The, the only seat that looks tantalising for him would be Red Bull. Mm. I mean, there are other avenues outside of F One for Sergio Perez. I mean, uh, Zach Brown, the uh, uh, chief at McLaren has basically said that that McLaren's IndyCar project, the uh, Shadow McLaren project in IndyCar, is one that they would love to have Sergio Perez be involved in if he wanted to go into IndyCar. Of course, very much an American-based championship with the Mexican t- contingent along with that may be an appealing prospect for Sergio Perez. So it's definitely an option for him outside of Formula One. Although I believe his first preference will be to stay in the sport. It's just whether or not there's a seat that would really be attractive for him. I'm pretty sure he's a sought-after commodity, but then there are so many sought-after commodities in Formula 1. There are only so many seats, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. But let's um, move on to Red Bull. The first, probably, I don't know, I want to say easier ones, but for me, it's easy with who I believe is going to be in that car next season. But I'm going to ask you first, Corny, so rather than who you want in that seat, who do you think is going to be Max Verstappen's teammate for next season and have to deal with that challenging prospect? Um, after uh, after the Grand Prix at Monza, I've really thought that, obviously, with Gasly winning, and he's been a great Formula season, I thought Gasly would really be putting pressure on Albon. Because Albon didn't have the greatest races there, but then a week later... The tables have completely turned. Yes, um, it was a chaotic Grand Prix. A lot of drivers uh, crashed out. But Albon put in his best performance for Red Bull today and got his um, first podium. You know, there were a couple of times, also we know, he had two, two shunts with Lewis, which like, let him lose in a couple of podiums. But this has been his best weekend so, so far for Red Bull, and I don't think it could have come at a better time for him. So you're going to go with Alex Albon? Indeed. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I I think Alex will be in that seat next year. As I've said before, all season long, we've talked about the prospect of Pierre Gasly regaining that seat in Red Bull. But all of the noises that I seem to hear 
from the likes of Christian Horner and Dr. Helmut Marco is that their intention was to always keep Alex on as Max's teammate for next season and that the prospect of Pierre Gasly coming back was not something that they really appealed to. They didn't really think too fondly of this idea. If anything, they were quite critical of Pierre and not really acknowledging the character that he'd shown and the work that he put in to get himself into a position again where he was back racing at his best. And of course, that culminated in that incredible victory that he had in Monza. Even then, even after that race, they were quite categorical in the fact that they just did not feel that Pierre would be driving alongside Max next season. If anything, they were just immediately against it, almost as if like, it's not going to happen ever. He's not our driver anymore, even though technically he still is, but they just didn't see that happening. So with Alex, he's had a very difficult year since he joined the Red Bull team. A lot of his performances in the race has really been noted, given how, by comparison, his qualifying performances have not been great. He has stepped it up a little bit, although he has had some difficult races this season. A lot of misfortune and uh, a lot of issues, as I said, in qualifying, which has become more critical in this current era of Formula 1, it has to be said, and that's where you do get measured with, I feel, to a lot more of an extreme degree than they used to. But after that performance in Mugello, where he managed to get that podium after, again, another difficult race, it's something that Alex has been tantalisingly close to in the past with podiums and maybe even a race win in Austria early in the season that was on the cards at the time and I think it's those hallmarks in Alex's ability that has really shown an appeal to the Red Bull team and I just feel that he needs at least another season hopefully better circumstances will prevail and I think he will be much more competitive and a lot closer to Max Verstappen which is the bar unfortunately, for him to uh, try and jump over. But I think he will do a better job next season. And I think Red Bull know this too. So I think, for me, it has to be Alex Albon is going to be in that car yeah. for another year. And I think it comes down to the fact that it's, in a way, it's probably more down to the fact that they're just against the idea of promoting Gasly again or considering other drivers. Whilst I think Sergio Perez or even possibly Nico Hulkenberg, who's teased at a return to Formula 1, may be interesting prospects. But I just feel that you know, the Red Bull have been under question over their driver academy. They've always wanted to favour drivers within their young driver programme. And I think to make this work longer term, they have to stick with Alex. I just don't think, whilst it is appealing to sign someone like Sergio Perez, who is basically a free agent at this point, I just don't think Red Bull want to go down that route. But um, as I said, there's many arguments one way or the other. So let's move on to Alpha Tauri. Of course, we mentioned them briefly, where Pierre Gasly currently is driving alongside Danny Kvyat. Courtney, who do you think is going to be in that lineup for 2021? I mean, one seat at least we probably feel is already all but confirmed, but which what about the other one? Well, yeah, I mean, I do I do think that Danny Kvyat, I said it earlier on, Danny Kvyat hasn't done enough wrong like, to deserve to be booted out of Alpha Tower, but then then again, neither did Perez. So you never know, um, but I would. The only slight threat I feel is that you've got the uh, got the young Japanese driver, haven't you? In F two, that seems to be doing quite well. Yuki Sonoda, yes. Yeah, they might they might look at him, but that'd be very harsh on uh, on Danny Kvyat. So I'm going to stick with Gasly and Kvyat. Yeah, Yuki Sonoda's done pretty well in F two. Um, 
for me personally, he's shown his pace in his rookie season. I just feel that still a lot for him to learn in that category before he makes a step up to Formula 1. I think he's still a little bit too raw. Um, as I said, he's shown signs of pace, but he just lacked that consistency uh, that some of the leading protagonists in F2 have shown. So I think Red Bull would probably be against the idea, although it would be appealing. Of course, having a Japanese driver in the sport, Honda back, that would be a big thing for them to have a Japanese driver in a Red Bull car or an Alpha Tauri car at least. But um, it, it's an interesting one. I think Pierre Gasly, we, I think we both agree he's definitely going to be in that car next season. Um, I don't think we really need to justify that decision. Uh, Pierre wants to stay at Alpha Tauri. Franz Tost wants to keep Pierre. He doesn't want him to go to Red Bull. But it's a difficult decision for Pierre because next season should be okay. But I think perhaps Pierre needs to start looking at opportunities outside of Red Bull. I think there comes a point where the way Red Bull have been acting towards Pierre, even when he was their driver last year, it just felt that they just have no confidence in him. Despite being a race winner now, I just don't believe Red Bull want Pierre um, or don't believe that Pierre is the future for them. Uh, in that regard. So for me, yes, I think for next season, Pierre will definitely be at Alpha Tauri. The second seat, though, it is a bit more difficult. We have, you know, a few drivers that are available. Of course, we've also got Danny Kvyat, who by all accounts has not been bad. He's had an okay season, scored a few points here and there. You know, he's done a decent job. He's had some bad luck. Of course, what happened at Silverstone, you know, we had that failure. It wasn't his fault. But again, this is a decision I feel that may be taken... Um, by Red Bull rather than Alpha Tauri. They may decide to put someone else in that car that they may want to sort of harbour potentially for a Red Bull seat in the future. And that's where potentially the Sergio Perez um, opportunity may come back or even a Nico Hulkenberg. I personally think if I was Christian Horner and I had a level of influence to put someone in that seat alongside Pierre Gasly, I would be looking at Sergio Perez. I just feel that if Sergio Perez wants to drive in a Red Bull or wants to stay in Formula 1, I think potentially putting him in an Alpha Tauri for next season alongside Pierre Gasly may give him a platform in a reasonably competitive car to really demonstrate to Red Bull that if uh, Alex Albon doesn't work out next season alongside Max Verstappen, it will allow them to say, well, we've got Sergio Perez who's done well in this car. He understands the car a lot better because of course they're very very similar the Red Bull and the Alpha Tauri so it would allow Perez to get used to driving that car and driving with a Honda engine as well you know it's it's not easy for a, a driver to just jump into another manufacturer's car and engine and expect them to go uh, like sticks straight away it, it just doesn't work that way so I think that's an option that I think they would be tempted with so I'm going to be bold on this one and I'm going to say I believe that potentially Red Bull will influence this decision and put Sergio Perez in the Alpha Tauri alongside Pierre Gasly. And I know there are probably some Kvyat fans that might listen to this and wonder, well, why don't they just stick with Danny Kvyat? He's a Red Bull driver. But remember, he already was demoted by them once back in 2016 and he lost his seat after that and then came back to Formula 1 when Red Bull didn't really have any young drivers to put in that seat. So Kvyat fit the bill temporarily. And I just feel that even more so than Gasly, Kvyat's future in the Red Bull program is literally 
it, it's the, the days are sort of running out for him. You know, his days are numbered on this. And I just feel Red Bull at some point are just going to cut the cord with Kvyat. Um, and, and bring someone else in. So it's almost a case of not necessarily having a seat filler, but an opportunity has presented itself where someone like Perez is available, and I think Red Bull may decide to act on it. So I'm going to go with Casley and Perez on that part. So that leaves the final two teams, Alfa Romeo and Haas. So, Courtney, I'm going to start with Alfa Romeo. So right now, Alfa Romeo have Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi in their car for next season. Who do we think is going to be in that car next season? The thing that intrigues me most with um, both Alfa Romeo and the Haas are their obvious ties with Ferrari. Um, have a look at the F2 Championship, and they've got two junior drivers, Mick Schumacher and Callum Eilat, both doing very well in F2. And Robert Schwarzman and as well. Schwarzman as well, yeah. yeah. So you've got three drivers in this Ferrari Academy that are doing well, and you've got four seats available. Now, Ferrari and the other teams involved, of course, must be having a good look at this and thinking, these are two teams that really need a fresh start. I'll be honest with you, in terms of teams in Formula 1, Haas are my least favourite. They they seem to offer the least when it comes to excitement. Now, when you think about Haas, Adam, the first thing that most people think about, they've got a funny team principal. He said some funny things on a documentary. Gunther Steiner, yeah. Absolute yeah. legend on the Drive to Survive series. If you haven't checked that out, guys, definitely look at it. Gunther is an absolute hero on that show. Absolutely fantastic from him. You know, he is. As, as, as funny as it is, and as much as he, he... But he seems to be like the only part of the team that offers something... something concrete to Formula One as a spectacle. And I think they need. I think they need to completely change their driver lineup. Grosjean, you know, has has had sort of glimmers of glory in Formula One, but they just seem there always seems to be incidents. They they always seem to be falling out. It seems to be a very negative environment, and I think they need a fresh start, or they even risk slipping out of Formula One. So I think they need one, one maybe even two junior drivers coming through. I know it's risky because they're not experienced, but. It will give, as 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 a neutral, it would give them a story, a place, an identity in Formula One, which I don't feel they have at the moment. So I think for Hatt in particular, they should be looking at the F2 drivers. Um, but yeah, with Alfa Romeo, what's going on with Kimi? Is he going to stay another year, or is there talks of him retiring at the end of the season? Well, I'm actually going to get. I was actually going to get into this actually to try and make this. Um when it come round to me but for those of you obviously that aren't aware Ferrari at this present time have been in discussions with Alfa Romeo and Haas they're two junior teams if you like Haas has never really been used as a junior team of Ferrari uh, in the way that Alfa Romeo has but with this technical partnership it was always assumed that eventually this would happen and Haas have entertained private tests with uh, young Ferrari drivers testing for them I mean Charles Leclerc when he was uh, before he joined Alfa Romeo, tested in a Haas a few years ago when he was the uh, F2 championship leader at the time, and it, it's an idea that's always been entertained with the Ferrari engine, the technical partnership, and everything else. So, with Kimi Raikkonen's future, um, as I said, Kimi Raikkonen, world champion in 2007, very much quickly becoming the most experienced driver in Formula One history of all time. I think he will break that record pretty, pretty soon, and. 
at the same time, Kimi Raikkonen's future, I, I personally feel that this could be the last that we see of Kimi Raikkonen. We haven't really heard many stories about the prospect of keeping Kimi in the sport. Whilst I did say earlier in the season, I thought it might be a wise decision to keep Kimi for another year because of the lack of changes in regulations. But given what we've seen with the F2 Championship, Ferrari have been in discussions over potentially adding another seat um, to both of those teams. So they already have Antonio Giovinazzi in the Ferrari driver's seat at Alfa Romeo. Ferrari are now discussing with Alfa Romeo and Haas to add an additional seat in the Alfa Romeo. So they'll have two Ferrari drivers in that team and one at Haas. So this is to kind of accommodate the situation that they find themselves in now, where, as you mentioned before already, in the F2 Championship, right now Mick Schumacher is leading it who is the probably the next driver in line from Ferrari to yeah. get a Formula 1 seat. Then you have Callum Eilot, who is second in the championship, a very impressive young driver as well, a British young driver as well at Ferrari. And then they have Robert Schwartzman, who was leading the championship earlier this season in his rookie season in F2, the F3 champion from last season, and he is currently running in fourth place. So Ferrari have a difficult situation where they've got three drivers who are staking a very, very strong claim into Formula 1, but they only have so many seats available. So for me, I, th- I think I will go with... They're going to keep Giovinazzi at Alfa Romeo. Yeah. And I think Raikkonen, unfortunately, this will be his final year in Formula 1. Uh, I, I don't think that was the original plan. I just think given the situation at F2, I think this is a move that Ferrari have, have had their hand forced and have had to act. And I think they're going to replace him with Mick Schumacher next season. I think I, I think Mick was always going to be in Formula 1 at some point and it seemed Alfa Romeo would probably be the best seat for him as he has tested for them a few times before uh, in their 2019 Formula 1 car in uh, sorry, 2018 I should say in Bahrain. Uh, he did that test where he ran in a Ferrari and in the Alfa Romeo as well. So I think Mick's going to be going into that car and I think Ferrari see Alfa Romeo as sort of the uh, the the gap the the bridge between Ferrari uh, between F two drivers and eventually going to Ferrari in the way yeah, Charles Leclerc did so yeah for next season I think Alfa Romeo it's going to be Giovinazzi and Mick Schumacher and I think on a note on Mick Schumacher one of the issues I've noticed when watching him in the past is that he's always struggled to get up to speed from the get go he tends to build up his speed as he did yeah. in F three and then eventually he'd be on the pace this season however despite a slow start he's been extremely consistent getting a podium, uh, I think, eight times this season, including winning in the feature race in Monza. Um, So, you you know, and now he's gone all the way to the top of the championship. So whilst I don't believe that Mick is the fastest driver in F2, he's showing to be the most reliable, as well as being one of the quickest as well. So I think that is definitely a trait that in Formula 1 you definitely need. As well as being fast, you have to be consistent. And that's why Mick ultimately is leading this F2 championship and probably is the favourite to win that with uh, only a few rounds left to go and why he will probably be in the Alfa Romeo next season alongside Antonio Giovinazzi. So yeah, that, that that's my pick for Alfa Romeo. Uh, Giovinazzi and Mick Schumacher. Um, Courtney, do you have any contrast with that one or do you think that that's probably what Alfa Romeo are going to do? Um, I reckon I wouldn't be fully surprised if Ferrari have a look because with the F2 season coming to an end pretty soon they might want to see how the season ends between Schumacher and Arlott. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll decide based on who wins the championship because let's not forget that the the winner of the F2 series 
has to leave the series and look elsewhere. Yeah. So they might see how it turns out between Schumacher and Isla at the end of the, the F2 season and um, the side there. And uh, wouldn't it be an exciting prospect to see yet another, uh, yet another British driver in the um, on the Formula One grid? So that'd be pretty exciting. So I reckon, yeah, I reckon the outcome of the F2 Championship could have an impact on where these drivers end up. I think it will. Um, but this is why I mentioned that Ferrari have been in talks with Haas and Alfa Romeo to secure an extra two seats within those two teams for Ferrari drivers. Because I just feel that Ferrari originally were probably hoping that Mick Schumacher would be the leading Ferrari Academy driver and would put him in the Alfa Romeo next season. But because of how good Callum Eilat and Robert Schwartzman have been this season and how this ouch, the championship looked early on when Schumacher was a bit behind, he had to play catch-up, they probably felt that they needed to provide that opportunity if one of their other drivers won the F2 Championship. And as you rightly pointed out, cannot defend it the following season. Uh, not to, well, why would they, to be honest? But, um, you know, so it's been a difficult thing to manage. I think going with the Haas situation, I think this one kind of uh, is the other half to this puzzle. Yeah. So whilst I feel that Mick Schumacher will be in the Alfa Romeo next season, again, it might be in a Haas, but I think he definitely will be in one of those two teams. Uh, I think it will be Alfa Romeo, given his history and, and experience working with them. And, uh, of course, Alfa Romeo, back in the Sauber days, had a brief history with uh, his father, Michael Schumacher, when he tested for them before driving uh, for Ferrari in 96. So, um, you know, the more you know there. But with the Huss situation, you're right, Connie. I think a revamp of some level is needed. I just think there's only going to be one driver change in that team. I believe yeah. Kevin Magnussen will be yeah. saying in that team. I think between him and Grosjean, whilst Grosjean has shown his ultimate pace at times to be slightly better than Kevin's, I just feel Kevin is a much more reliable driver. They both get involved in incidents, but Kevin, to a degree, doesn't get involved in as much. And the all-round package, I think Kevin has developed to be the better driver. And I think for Roman Grosjean, despite his pace, it's just not really worked out. Too, too many incidents and too much controversy surrounding his driving at that team for many years now. So, um... I think personally Grosjean is going to give way and that's going to create a seat potentially for one of either Callum Eilat and Robert Schwartzman. So I think those two in particular are fighting for that seat and that is going to go to the driver that uh, either wins the F2 Championship and if it's not one of them, which of them finish higher. But I just think Callum Eilat this season, when you consider the outright speed, I think he is the fastest driver in F2. And I think he's the driver that he's won a few races this season in F2. He's looked very, very good. His consistency at times has come under question a little bit. He had that mistake at Silverstone where he spun off trying to race for the lead. And a few other performances where he's kind of been bogged down for qualifying mistakes or just misfortune in race management. But I think when you consider the overall package, I think Callum definitely is looking like an exciting prospect coming from F2. And I think Ferrari know this too. So I think personally... He's been in F2 for two years now. I think he will be the man to go into that seat. And Robert Schwartzman will probably stay in F2 for another year. Of course, this is rookie season. So I think he'll be there for another season. And we'll see how that works out for him. So just to confirm, guys, of course, Alfa Romeo for me, Giovinazzi Schumacher, and then Haas will be Magnussen and Eilat for next season. What about you, Corny? Yeah, I can't really argue that too much. I'll just, um, I'll just, it'll just be interested to see how the F2 season finishes and how decisions will be made 
based on that. But I am going to put a few questions out on the Instagram page because I'd love to hear the feedback because there's a lot of a lot of questions that are yet to be unanswered and uh, I hope that we can uh, share them in next week's episode. If there isn't another uh, there isn't another dramatic race, we'll find some time to um, share your feedback on it. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Definitely do get in touch and uh, obviously leave your comments in the YouTube video or on the Instagram page who you think is going to be uh, making up the 2021 driver lineup for next season. I think looking at both of our lists, Courtney, we've only really gone differently with one driver. Um, you've gone with Kvyat and Alpha Tauri, and I've gone with Sergio Perez. So I've gone a bit bold on it. Um, I mean, the, you know, if it was a betting man, perhaps Kvyat would probably be the popular choice. But uh, I, I just think Red Bull are going to be a bit bold on that one. So, but that's our driver lineups, guys. If you agree with those, let us know. If you disagree. Please feel free to put down what you think is going to happen for that lineup and who you would like to see in there as well. So uh, I think that's a good opportunity to wrap up uh, this first part of the episode now. And uh, in the second part, we'll be discussing a little bit more on teams and obviously a, a potential entry for a new team in Formula One that we've been hearing whispers about. And uh, of course, we're going to be giving our reflection on the season so far and who's impressed us, etc. And of course, the preview for the Russian Grand Prix in Sochi this time next week. So until then, guys, we will see you in part two and we'll see you in a moment. So welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So in part one, if you haven't, if you just skipped through to part two, we were talking about the uh, driver market and of course, who we think is going to make up the grid for 2021. So definitely recommend you go back and check that out if you forwarded to this point already. So in part two, whilst we're on the subject of driver entries to Formula 1, I think one of the biggest issues, or one of the biggest conundrums, I suppose, that F1 has faced in the last decade or so, is that we haven't really had a brand new team. Now, by that, uh, or a constructor, I should say, is probably the right term for it, because what I mean by that, guys, is that in the last 10 years, we've had different teams or companies, private tiers or not, or manufacturers, buying into existing Formula 1 teams when they face financial hardship or they sell their team up. The most recent of those being Ra uh, Racing Point, obviously, and uh, buying into the uh, formerly the Force India team to salvage them. And of course, we had Alpha Tauri, but they're a title sponsor for the um, Toro Rosso team. So, you know, you know, stuff like that. But as we mentioned before, Racing Point obviously had the big consortium buyout of the uh, Force India team, which... Um, you know, forefronted by Lawrence Stroll and, of course, will become Aston Martin next season. So it is a new team in, in some way, but it's not a new constructor. The last new constructor I believe we had was back in 2010, uh, and that was the Hispania team. So they were like a fresh new constructor coming into the sport, and, of course, they only lasted a couple of years before they faced financial hardship. And I think given the uh, current climate of Formula 1, Courtney, it seems the biggest problem for new teams or new prospective teams wanting to join Formula 1, be they a private team or a manufacturer, is that it's just so much money and investment required to make this work just to get into the sport. Um, you know, I mean, Haas as well, they had the same problem where they bought into the sport. Now, of course, some of you are probably saying, well, what about Haas? Well, Haas technically bought their way in through a, uh, another team, a uh, couple of years ago anyway. So it, 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 I guess you could count that as uh, the newest new team in Formula 1. But, um, I mean, Hispania literally brought the, you know, so anyway, that that's how, for those of you wondering about Haas, why I didn't mention them. But 
they've been teasing at the idea themselves, Courtney, um, before they signed the Concord Agreement, that they may not stay um, in 2021. Of course, 2022 it is now when the new regs kick in because of their, uh, not, not necessarily the economic struggle, but the fact that they've invested all this money into a Formula One team, sought the right people, got the good good drivers, you know, had the technical partnership in Ferrari, and it just never really worked out for them. And uh, Gene Huss had invested a lot of money into this. And of course, Gene Huss, very famous in America, has successful racing franchises in NASCAR and IndyCar, etc. Wanted to try and crack Formula One. And it's not really proved to be successful. Of course, their best result back in Australia in 2017, when, um, uh, sorry, not 2017, a bit earlier than that, I should say, actually, because they double retirement in that race. But uh, back when uh, Grosjean, I think, coming into top five in 2016. So, um, such a long time from that result of top five or six or something like that. So, yeah, such a long time for them. And it's proved to be very, very difficult. And they've themselves, as we mentioned already, threatened to pull out of the sport, leaving the sport with only 18 cars. I can't remember the last time we've ever had less than 20 cars on a Formula One grid for a season. Um, I'd be, I mean, I've always been used to it being 22 or 24. Um, yeah, 24, I remember. I mean, 24, I think, is a very good number. I think when you get more than that, you start to have too many cars and it creates problems, especially at narrow circuits. Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, qualifying's already manic at places like Monaco and Hungary and even Monza, um, given the nature of that circuit, how difficult that can be. Uh, and Mugello, of course, as we saw last week, that proved to be a bit t- troublesome uh, when following other cars. But obviously, you know, the big problem for Formula One is new teams or new constructors wanting to come into the sport have just been put off by the idea of the investment required. I mean, we're talking about companies like Porsche, Audi, for example. Uh, Audi quite famously wanted to get into Formula One but and Porsche teased at this idea. But given the engine development of Formula One teams and how much is required to actually enter in the sport, it just completely put them off and they decided to stick to their world endurance uh, car series as well and of course while we're on this on that subject congratulations to the uh, Toyota World Endurance Championship team that has won their third successive Le Mans race um, I believe it was Sebastian Buemi, Brendan Hartley and uh, Izuki Nakajima that were the drivers in that car that won today so obviously the Formula 1 contingent doing yeah. rather well at Le Mans of course if Toyota uh, was the team that Fernando Alonso uh, won Le Mans uh, last year, I believe, for the Toyota team, alongside Sebastian Buemi and Nakajima as well. So, you know, congratulations to them. And, of course, Aston Martin Racing, they won uh, their class in the GTE Pro Series. So uh, congratulations to them as well for Le Mans. So that was that was on this week. And I forgot, couldn't believe it took us this long to mention it. But getting to the topic at hand, because I have got sidetracked for the last couple of minutes, guys, but almost a bit like a monologue. But... The reason for this is that we've had a team or potential team looking to try and find a way into Formula One. Now, for those of you that aren't aware of this story, this may be news to you, but a team referred to as Pantera Team Asia, which is uh, forefronted by Benjamin Durand, who some of you might recognize him. He used to run the uh, Russian SMP racing program for the uh, French-based sports car squad. Um, not too long ago, so that name might ring a bell to a few of you. But um, this is a team that has been looking to enter into the sport in 2021 with the aim of joining when the new regs reinforce. Now, of course, that's been delayed to 2022. And Benjamin Duran has claimed that they are currently working on a car and had agreed in principle to, uh, with an engine supplier in Formula 1 
and secure some manufactured parts from a current F1 supplier. And of course, listed parts, we should mention, not on the, you know, the legal listed parts that some manufacturers can provide to other teams, much to the uh, controversy that we saw with Racing Point and Mercedes from last season, which has finally been resolved. But the huge stumbling block that they feel could prevent them from entering in the sport, Courtney, is a new agreement or a new clause in the Concord agreement, which might surprise you. So with new Formula One teams, for those of you that don't know, guys, they have to pay an entry fee into the sport as a make-weight compensation to all of the current teams in the sport so that when the prize money in the future years is divided by an additional team, it means effectively they have less prize money coming to them. So this is kind of a compensation payment that this new team would make in order to allow the other teams to let them in the sport. This used to be around about 80 to $100 million. In recent weeks, it's been confirmed that this has now increased to $200 million US million. So the long story short is that if Pantera wanted to join Formula 1 in 2022... They have to pay $200 million to all of the teams. Not $200 million each, but $200 million split between the current 10 teams. So $20 million each to those teams so that they can be allowed to compete in the sport and, of course, access the prize money, which I don't think will be available to them until the first three years that they're in the sport. So um, whilst, uh, for those of you probably surprised um, at that level of entry fee, I mean, some people probably think playing in other sports like football, for example, you pay your subs for the week, you're paying like £5 a week or something, and these guys got to pay £200 million to uh, go racing in Formula 1. With that introduced, Courtney, are Formula 1 putting themselves in a financial uh, sinkhole or a corner where they're preventing newer entries like Pantera, like Audi, like Porsche in the past from entering into the sport as a fresh new constructor uh, rather than doing what Aston Martin have done and buy into an existing team? Well, yeah, I, I, I feel that the new agreement is making it a whole lot harder for new teams to get involved. I understand that, you know... Some of the bigger teams in particular are, you know, are making sacrifices to make the sport more entertaining. So they probably feel they've taken enough pain as it is. So they would want some kind of financial benefit from new teams joining. But, you know, it's pretty obvious, you know, particularly if Hasley, we need new teams in the sport. And you don't want to be pricing out competitors because even if they can afford the 200 million to going to Formula 1 in the first place they're already at a financial they're already behind financially and they've already been playing catch up in terms of competing because some, I remember in oh 2010 I think we had you know you mentioned Hispania you had Lotus and teams like this came in and they weren't even close to competing yeah, it, they gave some young drivers a chance to race in Formula 1, but you want to see teams come in and be a solid part of the actual race itself. You don't want to have a, an entertaining front race, you say, we've had before. And the, the midfield in recent years has been fantastic, but you don't want to be having teams so far back because of all the catching up financially that they don't add to the spectacle and then fall out. You want teams to come in and actually add to the sport, so maybe that's something they need to look into in the future. Yeah, no, no, I absolutely agree with that. I think Formula One's put themselves in a position where 
they are crying out for new teams to enter into the sport. But unfortunately, the restrictions and uh, implications from a financial perspective that are put on these new teams, it makes it very, very difficult for them to put themselves in a position where they're going to be competitive. I mean, if I'd spent almost as much money as one of the big teams spends in a season just to compete, I would want to be up there competing for race wins and podiums straight away to try and recoup some of that original investment. So it's a huge long-term commitment that a team like this needs to put into Formula 1. And unfortunately, this is why we're not seeing too many teams try and get into the sport. Whilst I agree, I think 24 uh, cars, so 12 teams, would be a very healthy number for the grid. I mean, we're not a fan of a three-car team that has been teased in the past. We just don't think that would work in the same way that it does in World Endurance Championship Series. Um, We just don't think it would work. So we end up with a situation that perhaps until the budget cap comes into force uh, in the next year or so, it might become more appealing in the future. But with a $200 million entry fee from the get-go, I would really struggle to find any sort of manufacturer that could make their own engine and everything else would want to come to the sport. And more to the point, why would they want to make their own engine? The amount of money they'd have to spend to make that happen would be ridiculous. It's almost as if they'd be, you know, they'd be buying an engine from one of the suppliers. And uh, what you'd end up is, as you mentioned, Courtney, they talk about the free cars leading the series. You'd end up with um, loads more teams at the uh, back end of that rather than competing for the top three spots. So... Um, a very difficult one, but it'd be great to see more teams. But right now, I don't know if that's financially viable. But we'll be keeping an eye on this story as it develops. If Pantera do make a serious bid and commitment to Formula 1, we'll have to wait and see. But at this point, probably not before 2022, at the very earliest when the new changes come in. So, obviously, we've uh, discussed earlier on that we were going to be reviewing how the season's gone so far, guys. So... Just a quick review of how the season's gone, Courtney. I would say we're halfway through this current season and there are some teams that have impressed us, some drivers have impressed us and others not so much. So I think I'm just going to go into some of the obvious ones. So I think just going through a few points. So the team that's impressed us the most so far, Courtney, who would you say that would be if I was to put you on the spot? Um, I think we can't look any further than Mercedes, mate. Yeah, I, I would probably say Mercedes out and out probably the most impressive team so far or at least one that surprised us the most um i mean their season has gone from strength to strength it's it's almost a cliche how often we say this but mercedes always seem to set the bar and then raise the roof on that raise it even higher and higher we just don't think it's possible and yet they find new ways to improve on what has already seemed to be a formidable car it's quite incredible. And I think Lewis Hamilton's season, I don't think he could have asked for a better start to this season. Given that um, he has won six of the first nine Grand Prix on the cusp of equaling Schumacher's race winning records and looking well poised to win his seventh world championship as well. I just, It just amazes me how Mercedes go from strength to strength. So I think that's quite an easy one to assess their season so far. Um I mean, which team in particular has surprised you the most this season? And I'm going to start with a positive surprise. Who has done better than you thought that they would do this season? I think the main ones for me definitely are Renault. I've been very impressed with Renault, particularly from Spa onwards. They really seem to have taken a step forward and seem to be challenging the big boys if they slip up. It's, some, it's funny you say that because I was actually going to say Renault as well. 
Um, it's, it's quite interesting because there's a case for quite a few teams. McLaren have been very good at times. Alpha Tauri have obviously been good. Racing Point, now that the, you know that controversy with their car is kind of gone, you can argue a case for where they've improved and obviously to how they've done that. But um, for me, Renault has been very, very good. They haven't got a podium yet, but they are so, so close to getting it. I just feel that if they keep going the way they are, it's going to work. And considering where they were last year... And even at the start of this season in testing, we thought they would struggle and how they did. They were sort of on the fringes of the top 10. They've really, really developed their car really well this season. It's starting to work for them. And I just hope that they're able to keep this going. Of course, they're going to be losing Daniel Ricciardo, who has been their shining light this season. I think it's fair to say. But of course, Esteban Ocon, we know how good he is and we know he needs time to settle. So with him and Alonso, I think Renault have done a fantastic job so far this season. And I imagine they're going to keep that going. So uh, yeah, no, well done to them. Um, the team that is probably going to be the same on this one, but the team that has surprised you um, in the most disappointing way this season. Oh, the thing is, I feel a bit more positive stories um, like even Williams Williams have made a big step forward I'll probably look no further than the two teams we've already discussed heavily in this episode and it's the um, the falling back of all three Ferrari teams I think the most obvious is the Ferrari team itself but Alfa Romeo and Haas seem to be struggling in the back rather than competing at the midfield generally speaking it seems to be a related issue owing to their power unit problems. And this has affected not only Ferrari, but also Alfa Romeo and Haas as well. Um, I mean, as I said, I expected Ferrari to struggle this season. When I said this in testing, I thought Ferrari would struggle. I said they would be the biggest disappointment this season. I didn't expect in a million years that Ferrari would be disappointed to this degree. Um, and the reason why... I went this way and I didn't really make it clear because I listened back to that episode and I didn't really make it clear as to why I felt this way and when I'd first heard about Ferrari having their engine issues and they had to revert to a legal engine and when I say legal I, I use that term loosely because whilst we are under the opinion or the assumption that Ferrari's previous engine was not following the rules hence why they had to change it we've never seen the details of what that entailed. Uh, we suspect it might be the fuel burning as was protested it might be other reasons but the point was is that as we mentioned earlier on Ferrari had built a car with more downforce not necessarily more efficient downforce but more nonetheless to combat its issues in slower corners and cornering speeds which they did suffer last season and the engine that they had we believe it's around 60 to 70 brake horsepower more powerful than this year's one um, was going to counteract those negative effects that the drag would bring. It's a very, very draggy car. They've gone completely the other way in concept over the last two years on their drag. And they had an engine to counter that. This season, they don't. And this is something that I feel Huss and, to a degree, Alfa Romeo, not so much have struggled with this. But because they've had that lack of power, it's really compromised them as well. So, in a way, yes, Corny, I think the Ferrari teams in particular have been very disappointing. Um I would say Ferrari the biggest surprise um, yeah. for a disappointment this season because of that. And I suppose in a way you kind of have to look at it. What do Ferrari need to do or where are Ferrari going to go in terms of improving? Because Matti Bonotto has said that, that they're working heavily on the 2021 engine. There's going to be a lot of changes. There's going to be a fresh engine. Of course, 
Ferrari have announced that they're not going to be developing the engine this season. They're going to be bringing those tokens that they have for last this current season and can roll over from the next one as the rules allow them to, to develop more on this current engine. And it's going to allow them to change the concept on their car for 2021. Um, the emphasis does seem to be on next season. I think Ferrari would admit that they will make small adjustments as they're bringing updates to Soshi. But they seem to be under the opinion very strongly that this will not change the picture too much and that Ferrari are most likely going to be banking their hopes on having a better 2021. Not necessarily back to where they used to be, but a better one than they're currently having this season and put all their hopes on the 2022 car when they can start developing that on the 1st of January next year. Well, they need to make that positive step, don't they? Because... 2022 is going to be such a big change. It's going to be a fresh start for anybody that has been struggling in recent seasons. Mm. So you want to be having, look, with life in general, a lot, a lot of it, you know, good luck, bad luck, good feeling, bad feeling. A lot of it, a lot of it depends on the snowball effect. And what you want is a positive snowball effect going in before this big change. Because if they have another, another torrid season. They're already going into 2022 a bit, oh, you know, can't carry on like this, you know, it's, it's difficult. So if they have, if, even if they're challenging for podiums regularly next season, I think most 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 of the fans would take that given a season and then, yeah, it just gives them an opportunity to push on in 2022. They'll certainly hope so. I mean, as a Ferrari fan myself, if someone told me that Ferrari will be challenging for podiums on a regular basis next season, I would probably take bite your arm off for it. Um, as I said, the emphasis does seem to be on the future, as John Elkin and Louis Camilleri mentioned earlier on. And uh, as we said in an earlier episode, when they talked about Ferrari's prospects probably being delayed as championship contenders in 2022. But they are very confident that if they are able to put their efforts in the direction they're going, that they can produce a car in 2022 that can fight for race wins and world championships. I certainly hope that's the case. I think Formula One in general, now that we've seen so much of Ferrari's disappointments this season, I think everyone's kind of the opinion where they just want Ferrari back challenging. They need Ferrari F1. They, yeah, it's, it was funny for a while for rival fans, yeah. but now it's got to the point where it's like, this is kind of sad now. This isn't really, like, especially what happened in Magella, the way they just fell down the order and the Italian Grand Prix as well. It's not nice to see, and Formula 1 needs Ferrari to be back, so we hope that they will sooner rather than later, but it's going to be a very difficult 18 months for them after what has proved to be a very disappointing season, probably one of the worst in the team's history, if not the worst that I can remember. Um, Just looking through other teams in the grid, of course, we haven't mentioned Red Bull. Now, they're an interesting one, because Red Bull comfortably second in the Constructors' Championship. I think... Whilst they would target a world championship, I think an imp- you know being second in the constructors for them is not necessarily too bad, given how Ferrari have fallen quite massively this year. But how would we assess their first half of the season? They've had uh, one race winning Max Verstappen. They've had a few podiums this season. Of course, Alex Albon has now got one himself. But ultimately, they've come up short once again compared to the Mercedes. And I think unlike other seasons, Courtney, where... Red Bull have developed their car further to improve as the season goes on and then challenge, which gives them hope for the following season. That doesn't really look likely at this point in time. It just seems that they are, they have more questions than answers on their car. Do you feel that they've really figured out how to get the most out of that car? And if so, where do they go moving forward? I think since the beginning of the turbo hybrid um, era in 2014, 
there's been a lot of huffing and puffing from Red Bull. There, there seem to be there be like some races where they're they're equal with Mercedes or slightly faster, and they get like the odd win here and there. But generally speaking, I haven't mounted a proper uh, like championship rival to Mercedes. Only are uh, the only team that's properly rivaled Mercedes in this era. I would say are Ferrari. I'm looking at this season. I think, given the struggles at Ferrari, this was a real opportunity for Red Bull to have a two-horse race with Mercedes. Now, I'm sure going into races for the rest of the season, there will be tracks where they'll hope to be faster because they they were very confident they would have been fast in Mugello. But with Max going out and having problems, we'll never know. But um, I, I, I do feel this, this this is just a theory of mine. Um, I just wonder if Honda are the engine suppliers that are struggling the most from this change in party mode because since that rule changed, they seem to be having a lot of engine problems. Yeah, I think that's a good point to mention. Uh, a lot of people were talking about how this party mode or lack of party mode was going to affect teams. We knew that it would help Ferrari because they'd lost it um, with mm. their new engine. So the Ferrari teams would have a slight advantage in that regard, although we haven't really seen much of it. But as you mentioned Mercedes in particular, a lot of people were hoping that this rule would peg them back a bit. If anything, it seems to have made them stronger as they were able to run their engine to a higher tolerance but more consistent over the race weekend rather than pulling everything out in quality and then whatever they got in the race to still win. Red Bull in that situation seemed to have been pegged back a little bit more so it's kind of created a larger gulf than intended. So I'm wondering if they're going to overturn that for next season for the sake of the race and we'll have to wait and see. But... Red Bull season has been quite interesting. As you said, a couple of podiums, but the team itself look like they're sort of scratching their heads and wondering what they can do to challenge Mercedes. Is that Honda engine good enough? They've made strides, but it always seems that Mercedes always seem to be able to maintain that golf. Uh, and even Renault have made strides this season as well. So a lot for Red Bull to think about, and it's not an easy question for them because they came into the season... Uh, what, with what they believed to be a car that was capable of winning this world championship. I certainly felt it was. Um, early in the season, Max Verstappen was my pick to win the world championship. Yeah, it was, and, yeah. uh, and from what I'd seen in testing, it looked very close. It looked like they were literally within a, a fraction of a second of the Mercs in outright pace. And that just seemed like, yes, that's what we want. We want Red Bull to be there. And we know Max can make up that deficit. But it just hasn't been realised with the exception of one race in the... Uh, 70th anniversary Grand Prix which was a brilliant performance from Max uh, one of his best drives but we haven't really seen that enough so I think not to go too much into this because episode is long enough as it is now we're nearly at an hour at this point we only done the preview for Soshi next so we'll get to that in a moment but now that we're at the halfway point Courtney um going to make a few predictions so I'm going to ask you what you think will be happening towards the end of the season so first thing first um Probably an easy one, but who do you think is going to win this 2020 World Championship? Oh, I hope I'm not jinxing, but you're going to have to go with uh, Mercedes Constructors Champions and Lewis Hamilton hopefully becoming a seven-time World Champion. Yeah, Constructors probably the easier of the two to pick. Um, Lewis has a very, almost an insurmountable lead. Definitely not one that cannot be caught, um, but... I can't remember the last time I've seen a championship lead of this size, especially even in this era of, I mean, if you think about it, it's almost like two and a bit races that Lewis has an advantage over Valtteri Bottas. I just can't see Lewis Hamilton 
not winning a seventh world title uh, this season. It just seems inevitable or more of a case of when rather than if. So I'm changing my answer from Max to Lewis, uh, obviously. I was never going to... As much as as Max, I think, is capable, I just don't think he has the car underneath him to do that. So, yeah, definitely going to go with Lewis and Mercedes. Um, do you think we're going to be seeing another surprise podium? And not necessarily one we saw in Monza, but one... Uh, perhaps a driver who you think may get on the podium this season that hasn't yet been on there yet? Well, you have to look at one of the Renault boys. Um, I'm just hoping for, in the second half of the season, I'm just hoping for more of this three-way tussle we're kind of seeing between Racing Point, Renault and McLaren. I think that could be one of the main stories of the uh, yeah second half of the season. So hopefully that continues. So any driver in particular? I mean, I would bet on Ricardo. Yeah. getting that Renault podium he's the, guy, he's the guy that everyone's looking at because you know for two reasons you know he's, he's he's one of the most popular guys in Formula 1 at the moment and on a personal note as, as I'd say that McLaren are my second team in Formula 1 at the moment and I want to see Daniel have a good strong second half of the season going into his new era at McLaren which I am very excited about I must say yeah, I'm very excited about that too. I mean, we'll talk a bit more about that perhaps in the off season um, as we as it goes along, because obviously we'll need to fill that content with other things for podcast episodes. Um, but don't worry, guys, they will be just as interesting and engaging as these ones are, as we demonstrated earlier before the season started. We had to fill a lot of time before the season actually got underway we owe into COVID but it does seem like an exciting prospect with Daniel Ricciardo in the McLaren and as I said I, I believe he's going to get a podium this season purely and simply because I want to see what tattoo Cyril Abitable gets um, after he said quite often that Daniel can put a tattoo on his body if he gets a podium in the Renault it just seems so close as well so it'd be quite fun to see how that goes and uh, I'm going to ask one more question. And I ask this with the absolute most sincere respect for the guy. And I think he's a fantastic talent. And I hope that an opportunity presents itself for him as well. But George Russell, do we think, or do you think, Corny, George Russell can score a world championship point in 2020? I really hope so. I thought Magello was going to be his chance, though. You think how many drivers dropped out of that race and he still didn't get that point three he, seconds he, yeah it was the gap that's the thing he's, he's going to need I think he's going to need a chaotic race or a wet race in order to do that yeah he's been so close George and after coming in 11th in Mugello it just seems so unfortunate that I mean we're talking about getting a world championship point it's, it's so, like so many drivers it's like a regular common thing almost like a minimum requirement but for George to do something like that, we'll be talking on the levels of uh, Mark Webber getting that fifth place in Australia in uh, 2002, if Minardi, uh, Jules Bianchi in Monaco getting that uh, uh, points in the Mauritius team back then. Um, you know, what a talent he was and taken way too soon, Jules Bianchi. Probably would be driving in the Ferrari right now alongside Charles Leclerc. Yeah. Uh, what a lineup that would have been. Um, but um, I think for George, George is in a bit of a predicament now I think not just with you know back on the driver market situation because now that Sebastian Vettel has joined the Aston Martin team I still consider Aston Martin uh, whilst Mercedes have not taken advantage of this in the way that Ferrari and Red Bull have with their respective junior teams but I still see Aston Martin as a potential stepping stone now into the team because before 
We were talking about, can George Russell go into the Mercedes? He needs a seat to be available. But now that Sebastian Vettel is in the Aston Martin, I suppose you can't really rule out the option of Seb maybe one day being in a Mercedes because he's now in in the Mercedes program, if you think about it. And if Lewis does decide to go before Seb, Mercedes may be more tempted to put Seb in that car um, or even to replace Bottas rather than just move George Russell from the Williams because... Whilst we know about George Russell's talent and we do rate him as a very, very uh, gifted driver who has world championship potential, it may prove to be too large of a jump to move him into that Mercedes because, I mean, if Mercedes felt that utmost confidence he could do it, they probably would have done it by now. I mean, Bottas has proven to be the safer option, but, I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Courtney? Do you feel that now that Vettel was going to Aston Martin, this is producing a, a potential... Um, buffer for George where he may have to go to the Aston Martin team first well it's certainly the case that yeah um, Vettel's involvement with the Mercedes programme definitely makes it more complicated but it'd be interesting to see how Aston Martin how Aston Martin perform and you know one of one of the many rumours that are flying around is that Toto Wolf could be looking to have a role at Aston Martin <laughs> So, you know, there could come a point where things change and Aston Martin could start becoming the dominant force in Formula 1. He may not feel the need to move to um, Mercedes. But it's really, really frustrating for George. He's, you know, he's won all the junior categories. He's, he's really getting the best out of that car despite not scoring. He's just in a really unfortunate position. I think the, the hope for him is that Williams take a step forward next season with this newfound investment which will allow him to catch the eye of Mercedes because I, I I do feel we should be with Lewis at Mercedes. I've been saying it in previous episodes and I still stand by it. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think it'd be a great prospect to have, but ultimately may prove to be one that might not be uh, seeable for at least a good couple of years, which is unfortunate for George, but if it resulted in him getting promoted to Aston Martin first, I don't think he'd be complaining too much, but he definitely would be wanted to drive that Mercedes sooner rather than later. So uh, moving to the final part of the episode now, as we're just over the hour mark, just to talk about the uh, race in Sochi. So of course this time next week we'll be back to racing in Sochi in Russia over where the Winter Olympics was uh, back in 2016. How do you think this race is going to go, Courtney? Because this is a track that has been dominated by Mercedes since its introduction to the Formula 1 calendar. Do you see uh, the form book going Mercedes way once again or are you expecting a surprise? Yeah, barring a catastrophe for Mercedes, I can't see anything else but Mercedes 1-2. And I, and I just feel like we repeat ourselves that every week we say, yeah, um, Mercedes are going to dominate, and this needs to be the week that Valtteri Bottas fights back. Yes, he's done better in Mugello, and I suppose maybe the common comfort that Valtteri has going into Russia, that he tends to do well in Russia. He got his first win there, of course. Very solid, holding back a fast Ferrari. Um, you know, that was the first big statement he got to make in Formula 1. But he, he's, he's running out of races. He, he's probably running out of belief. But look, until the fat lady sings, he has to continue and he has to fight back in his race. So the championship is pretty far away from him. But oh, if he, because, if he, you know, we're running out of races as well now. It's one thing having a points deficit, but we're going into the second half of the season and you're running out of opportunity to catch up with Lewis. So he really has to take this step up this weekend. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more on that one about Valtteri. He does need to step up. And he's running out of weeks now where he can, you know, put together that championship challenge. It has to start now. And if it doesn't, it may never, it may never will. Um, so I would say for me, as I said before, it's a Mercedes dominated track. Even when Mercedes had the competition with Ferrari and Red Bull at close quarters with them, I, I just feel that Mercedes always have an advantage on this track. It's a very power sensitive circuit. And as we've seen this season, Mercedes have proven to be the class of the field and then some a class of their own. I just can't see anything other than the Mercedes 1-2 this week. And unless something happens to them um, or there's weather involved and there's an incident or some sort, I just think this is one of the more predictable circuits of the season. So I'm going to go on a limb and say Lewis will win again. He will equal Schumacher's record of 91 race wins. Uh, Valtteri will come second. And Max Verstappen will probably come third. I would be tempted to choose a racing point. I just feel that as the season has gone on, that racing point has not really taken advantage of certain circuits that might favour normal situations as I'd expected earlier on the season. So I'm going to go and revert to type and say Max will come third in the Red Bull. Yeah, sounds because that's been the general theme of the season, hasn't it? It's been the two Mercedes boys and... Uh... And then Verstappen taking out final podium spot. You seem to have called it better than I have this season. I think our track record would suggest that uh, I've not really got many right. So uh, my credibility is already on the line. But you seem to be on form with that one. So I think, But I think this week we're agreed with that one. It's, uh, I hate these predictable results. And uh, I love to be wrong. The last two races have shown some real big surprises. Exactly. So I'm hoping for more of the same. If anything, this season has thrown up more shocks and surprises in a good way. Um, then we would probably would have envisaged earlier on in testing. But nonetheless, plenty still to go on this season, uh, as we've already mentioned. And uh, so much going on behind the scenes as well, guys. So, of course, we'll keep you up to date with the latest on all of those as and when we hear them. And, of course, if you want to know more or find out the latest from us, you can follow us on social media and uh, on Instagram and Twitter. It's dnf one underscore podcast make sure to follow us on there and let us know that you're following us and say hi to us as well as we're quite active on there especially Courtney on the Instagram page doing a stellar job as always and of course if you are following us on YouTube that's dnf1-f1 podcast make sure to like share and subscribe um I'm quite proud of the fact that we're now up to 45 subscribers so I think it'll be a lovely little milestone achievement for us if we can get to 50 before the end of the season. I think we're very close to that already and perhaps you might you might be listening to this thinking, nah, you could shoot higher than that. But I'm going to be conservative with this one for now. Can we get to 50 subs before the end of the season, guys? If you are listening and you haven't subbed, make sure you do. We'd really appreciate your support and love you uh, for it as well. We've got m- more great content to come and uh, some few changes that are going to happen for us in the near future. And of course, if you're listening to us on your favourite podcasting platform as well, make sure to follow us as well. Let us know. Say hi to us on social media. And thank you, of course, wherever you are listening around the world to the DNF1 F1 podcast. So I think that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. A bit of a lengthy one to cover some of the talk- talking points in the paddock as we reach the halfway point of the season. We're now about to approach the second half of the season where all of the questions that we've already asked and tried to answer ourselves will be answered in due course. So make sure to follow us for the latest on that. And of course, we've got the Russian Grand Prix coming in this time next week. Will Lewis Hamilton win again? Will he equal Schumacher's record? Or will Valtteri Bottas perhaps finally 
try it and get his championship challenge together or will we have another crazy race like we've seen in Italy who knows we'll have to wait and see but until then guys thank you for stopping by and listening to us and we will see you on the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast see you soon Podcast Network.